Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Bro, I've been miracling so hard, I'm literally bleeding from the eyes. <laughs> yeah, man, what happened there? You have uh, some sort of, uh, did you get into a fight again with another control player? I don't know, dude. The dopamine <laughs> hit every time I miracle uh, blind, is just it's just so much more potent these days. Yeah, you had a pretty good showing uh, this week at the, at the 1K. We'll talk about that in an upcoming episode, uh, but right now... What we want to talk about is uh, the full set has been spoiled for Tales of Middle-Earth. And as promised, we're going to go through and look at all the cards and see what's going to be uh, legacy playable. You know, as we were going through the cards too, everybody, uh, we'll stick around because there's some cards in here that uh, are making me feel like I want to play a deck that doesn't have Ponder and Brainstorm in it. And that's yeah. a weird experience. Doesn't yet so, exist even. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I'm like, oh man, do I actually want to like play this? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. There's a whole shell that I think is uh, yeah. derived from some of these spoilers. Yeah. So uh, let's, so w what we like to do is we use a uh, mythic spoiler when we're going through these. Uh, and we just like kind of go from the top to the bottom and talk about the cards. And then, uh, of course, when we can't find something on the thick spoiler, which has happened, we'll use Scryfall to like look at the card. Obviously, you'll be getting uh, a look at all these cards right here. Visually, you can you can follow along with us. So the first card that I want to talk about is Dawn of a New Age. Phil, what do you think about Dawn of a New Age? I guess we should explain so the card first, right? It's one in a white for an enchantment. It's as an ETBs with a hope counter for each creature you control. And then at the beginning of your end step, remove a hope counter from it. And if you do draw a card, then if you have no hope counters on it, you sacrifice it and gain four life. If we think Staff of the Storyteller is playable, and that thing is mana-gated, right? You're I think we do feel that way, yeah. And and you are uh, building your deck in a way where you are playing specifically token producers in order to turn Staff on. Yeah. Dawn of the New Age is not a card you're playing on turn two unless you, you know, have you made some kind of large amount of token creatures or something on turn one. But this isn't this is any creature. This isn't just token creatures. So you can have any amount of board and this will enter with hope counters. And then it's essentially a part of one sided howling mine. And yeah. it comes into play for however many tokens you have or how many counters you have on it. That four life isn't nothing, though, right? Like yeah. that could blank a combat and give you the time to actually leverage the cards that you draw off of it. The, the, the downside about this is that the play patterns of it are this is not the card that you play early this is the card that you play so you like deploy your hand you play to the board and then you play this as your like last thing and mm -hmm. then this will be you know you just have the monarch until the hope counters are gone yeah right? you just draw two cards a turn in that context like if you play it in that context where like this is almost like your your top end like your late mid game to end game sort of thing because if you advance your board, play this, it draws a bunch of cards, potentially to advance your board further, play another one, and then just keep that tr train going. This, like, I read this as two mana, you're the monarch, and it can't be taken from you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then these, it's not legendary. So, like, if you have multiple creatures, like, you can stack them, play this. Next turn, you still have the same number or more creatures, play another one, and now you're drawing three cards every turn. It's two mana, it's not mana gated, it has a lot of play potential in those kinds of patterns if you're in the context of that deck. So yeah. it, it definitely rewards you for playing to the boards. So you have to be in that context. But like a one-sided howling mind that then draw, gains you for life to like win races or win in combats, no joke. So yeah, I think it needs, it needs the I, right context, but it's playable. I agree 100%. So the next card is Spiteful Bounty. Uh, Spiteful Bounty is an enchantment that is Spiteful red. Banditry, bro. Sorry, Spiteful Banditry. Oh my God. Already already with the, mis the, the mispronunciations. Uh, anyhow, Spiteful Banditry is a card that is X, red, red. And it says, when this enters the battlefield, deal X damage to each creature. Whenever one or more creatures your opponents control die, 
create a treasure token. This ability triggers only once each turn. So I try to find what decks are interested in this at double red. So if it's like at three mana, it deals one to everything. At four yep. mana, it deals it's a pyroclasm. And then it sticks on the board for whenever one or more creatures your opponent's control die, you create a treasure token, but it only triggers once every turn. I think at the floor, this card has to be good if you just cast it for red red. If this is just zero and it's an enchantment that whenever an opponent's creature control dies, you make a treasure token. And because that by itself, I don't think is playable. I don't think this card is playable. Yeah, I, I I think upon looking at this initially, I was like, oh, this is just massacre. This is Meat Hook massacre. Um, but uh, gaining a mana versus doing a damage in this particular instance is not as good. The difference too is that uh, Meat Hook massacre is just a blood artist. You can make it. So you you can make blood artist good. Whereas yeah. this one, we're like your opponent has to have creatures on the table for the second effect to be good because it's whenever a creature yeah. your opponent controls dies. It's not like you can start spamming like sacrificing your own stuff to make treasures you know exactly your your yeah. opponent has to agree to it and that's not necessarily impossible like everything is playing creatures now including staff control decks that are playing like tokens and shit but i don't know if like you're willing to spend a card to like maybe make some treasure tokens like this has to kill a thing and if it's killing a thing you're killing an x one for three mana and is that good enough i just don't see it yeah i i mean at best like you have to be getting some value out of the treasure tokens as artifacts as opposed to just like as mana but anyhow like I said, this card, it, it, there's a lot of hype. I don't think it's going to see legacy play, though. Uh, next card is uh, Boromir, Warden of the Tower. Uh, that is a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three. that's uh, 2 and a white for a legendary creature human soldier with Vigilance. Uh, whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. Then you can sacrifice Boromir, Warden of the Tower. Creatures you control gain indestructible until in turn the ring tempts you. You want to know this where I think this card is actually going to be the mo most played? Where? This is a vintage Lavinia that you can age into. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that that's a pretty solid point is is this card's probably because it is like just ancient tomb like play this, play, you know, play it can slot into that deck already, the initiative deck and vintage. Um this card are also like blocks your opponent from being able to do their their broken things. And then the ring tempts you is just like extra flavor. Like you're probably not even going to have to sacrifice this card because your, pro the, your opponent's locked out of the game at this point. Yeah, the sacrifice thing isn't mana gated. You just sacrifice it. So it's like, yeah. it's just free. Like you just get to have it whenever you want. Like it just cuts a, a part of interaction out of off of your opponent. It, it just changing the blue mana for Ancient Tomb mana, I think is where like, okay, yeah, I'm on City of Traders and Ancient Tomb. And now I have this card. That's another thing that just houses you know, the cheap artifact combo decks even, yeah. even more. Like, I'm on Archon Amiria, and then I can be on, like, even just one of these if it's legendary since you don't want to draw multiples, but, like, I could see this being the thing where it's like, yeah, you can never spam anything, and, uh, you know, it's like you're not replacing Archon. Maybe you want a fifth Archon, you know? Yeah. Well, in the realm of uh, two mana, you become the Monarch cards, we have Call of the Ring, which is a two mana enchantment, one in a black. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, the ring tempts you, and then whenever you choose a creature as your ring bear, you may pay two life. If you do, draw a card. Uh, I mean, I think that this card is interesting because the 
ability to draw a card as a may. So like yeah. while you have life, you can choose to just, uh, you know, howling mine yourself. Whenever you choose a creature as your ring bearer, it implies that you have to have a creature on board. The ring will tempt you even if you don't have a creature, but you can't choose a ring bearer if you don't have a creature. So you're only going to be able to draw a card while you have a creature in play, which isn't the most difficult thing to do if you're going to And, and we can assume that if we're playing this card, we are playing creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, the notion of like two life for a card every turn, if you're just going to bury your opponent and then every creature that you play with... Like, this is going to get you to the four levels of the ring pretty quickly. And yeah. then every creature is like, okay, every time I attack, you lose a life and have to sack a creature if you block. Well, not you to know, mention, like, like, remember what all the things that the ring does. It's like, one of your creatures becomes legendary. Then it's like, when you attack, you loot, right? Is that is that the next line? Is like, when you, you attack, loot. you loot? Yeah. Then yeah. it's, if your creature gets blocked... Uh, or they your sacrifice creature, creature. Only blocked by uh, like skulk. It, it, the, the the first ability is they become legendary and gain skulk. The second skulk. ability is they okay. get to loot. The third ability. So third is ability like, is if they get blocked, they the creature that they, blocks them dies after combat. They sacrifice it, and then, then the it's like ability. just it's just bumping in the night every time it hits. Somebody. Every turn, yeah, yeah. So so those like, those are all very like as they boil through, they're very good. It's just that you need to have this happen and. Because this is guaranteeing that you're going to get tempted at the beginning of each turn, any other effects that you have that also tempt you are just that much better because they're, they're basically just snowballing you into, into hitting that four spot. Once you hit that four spot, whenever you have a creature in, in play that uh, is the ring bearer, he has all those abilities. It just like turbo attempts you. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if it's, if, if it's good enough, but it's, it's cheap. It's two mana. It's, a, it's not legendary. It's a, a, a way to like turbo the. Yeah, you can play like, more I, than one of these actually, which is kind of wild. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you can stack it. So you could pay four life a turn, you know. And at that point, you're just like, you know, we're in Sylvan Library territory, right? Like yeah. that's not unheard of. So well, also it, like it, think about decks that this would be good in Death Shadow. Yeah, I mean, there's always these like you know, play a bunch of life and get your life total down for Death Shadow. But I, I feel like this isn't going to be like if you weren't playing Sylvan Library in Death Shadow, I don't know why you'd play this. I get that it's on color, but like, I am playing slow. Sylvan Library in Death Shadow, sir. No, no, but I'm saying that, like you're, <laughs> at that point, like that's going to turbo down your life total to get your Death Shadow yeah. better than this is. You know, I, I feel like if you weren't, if you were just looking for something to go on color, in my mind, you have to be interested in the ring tempts you for this card to be playable, because otherwise you would just play the more efficient ways to draw cards. I, I, if there's a world where you're like, yeah, I like the ring tempts you, yeah, it's a, it's a howling mine. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, display of power: two red and one colorless for an instant. This spell can't be copied. Copy any number of target spells and or sorceries. Uh, you may choose new targets for the spells. Yeah, so target instant and or sorcery spells. So specifically instants and sorceries only. So you can't copy like, you know, LEDs and then wheel yeah. or something. Yeah. But the, the I don't know if there's much to talk about this card. I don't know where it would slot in, but it's just that it's another one of those big storm cards where it's like, when it's on the stack, you die. You know? Yeah, this is and the last card that, you'll see before, before the, like, the curtains are drawn. Ad nauseum goes on the stack. You are effectively dead. You can sit through and watch the fireworks happen or, or just concede. Yeah. Same thing with display of power. You can wait for all the stuff to happen or you can just concede because you're dead. So you can watch that video to get our full, like it's 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 dang near a half hour of thoughts on uh, a couple of cards, but this is one of the three cards that we talked about in, in that video. So go ahead and check that video out after you watch this one. Leovold Lovers Unite. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the next card on the list after uh that is elven chorus three and a green for an enchantment it says you may look at the top card of your library anytime you may cast creature spells from the top of your library creatures you control have tap add one mana of any color so the only spot that i could actually think of this fittingly in elven chorus is in elves and the reason for that is 
if you think about what Elven Chorus does functionally, it is a four mana glimpse that stays on the table. Yeah. But why that's powerful is if you cast the top card of your library and your heritage druiding, you're able to just go off, right? So effectively doing the same sort of thing that Glimpse is doing, where every creature you cast is drawing a card. Yeah. That is functionally the same thing of what's going on with Elven Chorus. If you cast a creature off the top of your deck, reveal the next card, it is effectively drawing that card. Now, if you've already played your land for the turn and there's a land on top, that would be the same bottleneck that you would have with Glimpse, right? It, yeah. it, it is it is identical in that fashion. Now, and you're going to get difference... to a point where you have, like, the, the reason why the Glimpse chain works is because you have cards like Elvish Visionary to remove that glut. You have that Elvish Visionary to remove that glut, but then you also can, like, Queer and Ranger to make more mana to keep going off with Elven Course. Like, we know the Glimpse yeah. chain. But Elven Course does that, even at four mana, which is different for one mana, but one spot where this is particularly valuable in the current metagame that we're going to enter into is when you cast spells off the top of your deck, you're not drawing the cards. You're not so, drawing the cards. If, specifically, if you worried, yeah. If you were worried about bowmasters like fucking up your day, Elven Chorus doesn't care. If you were, if there's a Narset in play that's cutting you off your glimpse, Elven Chorus doesn't care. So yeah. like all the cards that hate on drawing, uh, like spamming cards, like draw cards, draw spells, or that hate on those types of things, Elven Chorus just plays around that. It's similar to how like you know expressive iteration was so good because it could play through an Narset, right? You 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 looked at the top card and yep. picked them up. You didn't draw them, and that was a really that was a, a meaningful interaction. Like that kind of pushed. Narset out of the format because it didn't hit the most played card draw spell. And Elven Chorus in those kinds of in that particular kind of deck does something similar where it's like, well, if you know that you're gonna be up against Bowmasters, like that's already gonna fuck your day up because they're gonna hit a, a creature, but it's not gonna lock you out because you can yeah. play this and then still spam out and just overload the Bowmasters without actually ever drawing cards. Same thing with a Narset, like if you ever have to worry about that. I think Elvish Chorus, because it is uniquely fitted to combat that kind of metagame. I could see it getting slotted in. Yeah. Uh, and particularly, like, I think the creatures have one mana of any color. Like, that's fine if you get to untap. But, like, you already have free mana anyway with your Heritage Druids. So you can just Heritage Chain through this. And I think that's really powerful. Frodo Sauron's Bane. Uh, one white mana for a 1-2 legendary creature halfling citizen. You can play, uh, pay Orzov Orzov. If you do, uh, then if he's a citizen, he becomes a scout. Uh, and he becomes a 2-3 with lifelink. Then it, you can pay three black if he is already a scout, and it becomes a halfling rogue with whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses life if the loses the game. Sorry, that player loses the game if the ring has tempted you uh, more than four times, four or more times, four or more times, yeah, four or so more times. When we when this card was first spoiled, we didn't know what the ring did, or the ring tempts you did, and we didn't know how powerful that was going to be. The ring tempting you any amount of times does not seem difficult. Like getting yeah. to four times the ring tempts you seems pretty trivial based yeah. on like the actual playables in this set. I don't think you playing Sauron's Bane and then two more mana and then three more mana and then this connecting is all that realistic. But if it's all flavor text and it's incidental, that's not necessarily the worst. So the the area that I think this set is going to level up a deck is the Yoshimaru Zoo Legends yeah. deck. That's just like spam, make a bunch of legends, make Yoshimaru big, and you're playing like all legendary lands and all legendary creatures, and you're just like essentially a zoo deck. Yeah. But this set gives you a lot of cheap playable legends in color that you would want with that si style of deck, and you get like power-ups like Mox Amber and stuff. Yeah, and if you're worried but about your opponent uh, wrathing the board... Uh, you have Bormir, right? You have, you have Bormir if you want it. I mean, it's a little bit expensive, but like, yes, right, totally. 
Uh, but you also like that you already have like a bunch of good legendary lands to play with. And this set gives you a couple more, but you already have like Caracas, uh, a Ganjo in white. Th those sorts of cards are like it. it's they are free in a in a sense that like you want them legends anyway, because the, all the legends with Yoshimaru represent pump spells. This card and then uh, another card that we we skipped over but would fit into that deck is Flowering of the White Tree, which is a legendary enchantment for white white. That says legendary creatures you control get plus two plus one and have ward one. Which yeah. is a big deal, and then non-legendary creatures you control have plus one, plus one. In this deck, that part's flavor text. Plus two, but plus one, right? No, they're just plus, plus two, one. The, the legendary creatures you control. Oh my plus god! Two, plus yeah, one it does both and have ward one. So, and it's a legendary enchantment. So, it again would pump Yoshimaru. So, on the curve of just Yoshimaru turn one into flowering of the white tree turn two, which it doesn't ask you for anything. You're attacking with a five four Yoshimaru on turn two with ward one. Right. That is. But and because of that, what I mean by Yoshimaru comes in as a one one second turn, you play another legendary land. Now it's a two two play flowering of the white tree. It's a three three. Now it gets plus two plus one. So it's a five four with oh one and you're swinging. Games. God, that's that's on that's on asking for nothing. Right. Yeah. Like that's nothing else other than curving one into two. Yeah, you could wild. do other things like Yoshimaru on one play Mox Amber plus one plus one counter cast another legendary one drop plus one plus one counter turn two play flowering of the white tree and now you're attacking with like a seven power dude and another you know five power dude but depending on whatever the second yeah. creature you cast was and they're like now it's that's just a two turn <clears throat> clock right like I get you only have two cards in hand but it's a two turn clock like yeah that is that is zoo that is aggro zoo like you are putting them to the test and, and ward one is going to fuck them up right like it's like now you're 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 trading like flowering of the white tree is going to protect your shit. And if you have the flowering of the white tree in multiples with Yoshimaru, it's not necessarily bad because plus two plus one. Or, yeah, uh, exactly. It actually still procs, the, right? Yeah. It, it, you you would still get to you know pump your Yoshimaru. So it, that, that that deck in particular gets a huge level up from this set. If that deck becomes something that people are interested in trying, it's just a zoo, but it's a very good, it's a very fast zoo. That that's where for our, Frodo Sauron's bane would. Exactly. Makes sense, right? Because it's another powerful one-drop legend that has reasonable text to play with. And if you're pumping your legends, then sinking another two mana to make this a lifelinker, like every deck is interested in lifelink. We're all playing yeah. Shadow Spear. No one's no one's know. upset about lifelink unless you are a Death Shadow deck. But the thing is, is that it's incidental <laughs> life gain, right? Like yeah. if you have Frodo, you can sink two mana, and if they're huge because of flowering of the white tree and whatever else, now you have just built a Bane Slayer. Yeah, right? dude, he's but just out there pump, pumping, yeah. And it, but it's incidental in your deck, right? Like, yeah, it's you just have something access extra to that the it does. Game. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the three black is is you know when the game is flavor text, but white white make a bane slayer is not like that's actually yeah. relevant. So that's kind of cool. Scroll of Isildur. Uh, this is a saga uh, that reads two in a blue. Uh, on the first lore counter, gain control of up to one target artifact for as long as you control scroll scroll of Isildur. The ring tempts you. Tap up to two target creatures, put stun counters on each of them. Stun counters means they don't untap the next turn. Uh, and then uh, draw a card for each tap creature your opponent controls. So, Phil, you were talking about this in the context of, like, a mirror match card for uh, eight cast. I was looking at it because it's, uh, you know, it's ancient tomb plus blue. So I think about it as a two drop. Yeah. But if, if you're playing that mirror match, and I'm not necessarily the most experienced with it, but I think, you know, gain control of up to one target artifact uh, for as long as you control Scroll of Isidore, taking their construct onto your side. So it's just another massive construct, but like you traded at value to take their construct to start winning in combat. And then you tap down their things and start beating them with your giant stuff. Like contextually, I can see this being really compelling in the Urza Saga mirrors where we're both just on huge constructs and we're trying to race each other and 
it matters if the staff is in or the shadow spear is in play and we're like fighting over that and then draw yeah. a card drawing cards like i don't well, know I've... if it's going to see play but if i were an eight cast player and i looked at this card i would be a I would I would test it in my board for the mirror. Like I would yeah. I would explore I think, that. I space. think it's worth it's worth looking at in in regards to like if you play this at the right time. Like I play Haywire Might as my like hate card for the mirror and obviously for several other things. But if you're worried about eight cast specifically in your eight cast deck, this card's bonkers because if you're taking a construct that is a two uh, a a two artifact swing because you're removing one from your opponent, you're gaining one yourself. So if, if you're in a construct war at parity, like now all of your other constructs are basically two power larger than your opponent's constructs, you know? So uh, then you can swing in, you know, it, it just changes so much. If they already have creatures, you can tap them with this thing and then you're drawing extra cards when this goes away. Your opponent's got a bunch of, like, your opponent's going to get back, uh, you know, his construct, but it's going to be tapped for a turn uh you're still gonna be able to swing through at the during during your like third main phase with this i don't know i think that this is one of those cards that's like uh it it's it's worth looking at and it might actually just be like a, the new go-to thing to do if you're playing against eight cast in eight cast here's the thing at, at its worst if you play it in the mirror it just stone rains your opponent for a while yeah. right you just take their seat and now yeah. like you 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 mess up their artifact count you take one of their lands like that could be meaningful in certain contexts I, I don't know if this would see player if it's good enough but if i were an a cast player i'd be at least giving a couple of leagues with this to test it yeah. out in the mirror to see if it actually is a, a game breaker for that because it, it, it all of that makes sense like all of the stuff that all the play patterns that we just talked about like sound good and make sense yeah and to, it, it, this is something that i would need to see in practice if it actually does pay you off the way we think it does but if it does that's seems pretty good all right we've got uh frodo determined hero which is a two mana that's one and a white for a two two legendary creature halfling warrior uh Whenever Frodo Determined Hero enters the battlefield or attacks, you may attach target equipment you control with mana value 2 or 3 to Frodo. As long as it's your turn, prevent all damage that would be dealt to Frodo. I mean, it leans into wanting to play with the, you know, sword of blank and blank again. But yeah, uh, I, I mean, the thing is, it's a two mana 2-2. Two, two, it's legendary, you know, you, so you we obviously about you the Ishimaru deck before. You know, we talked like, about the Ishimaru deck. I, I just think that, like, it's possible that this is playable in that Every time I ever see DNT, their best fucking plays are always with Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. Like Stoneforge Mystic is just their best shit. And I get that that would imply that you'd be wanting to play with more swords, but it's like if you're playing with Batterskull and Haldra, and then usually you're playing with what, Jitae, but maybe you're playing with Sword of Fire and Ice or a yeah. sword if you're looking in a particular metagame. I mean, attaching I a free Jitae to this is fine. Yeah, I don't attaching see that. Attaching a free Jitae to this is totally fine. Yeah. And you you're going to attack in with it, and your opponent, if, if your opponent blocks, doesn't uh, matter. You're, he, he doesn't damage. die you know yeah. like i i could see it like it, it being able to circumvent you know some amount of mana which means that like it etbs if you're holding up caracas that means that you can still protect it while the etb is on the stack and if they don't fight over it then you just get to attach your sword or attach your gta or whatever it is i don't know i just think that like obviously i'm not the you know basic planes player uh even yeah. in my control decks so it's like what what the fuck do i know but like Every time I play against them, I'm always like, it always seems like the most valuable card they have is Stoneforge Mystic getting the thing. And mm -hmm. this just seems like, all right, yeah, let's level up our best kind of lines. Phil, speaking of the most valuable thing we have, uh, we should talk about Moxfield.com, which is a great place to build decks. It's it's easily the best deck building website out there. Um, obviously, they're a sponsor, uh, but we use uh, Moxfield.com pretty much every day while, we're, while we are building decks. My 
dedicated miracle list that I constantly change over and over is on I just looked that thing has over 1000 views it has more than that dude it has like it's seven wild. plus thousand yeah what the heck my, people are looking at that list <laughs> well my it's also because my list constantly changes and yeah. you know I'm a dedicated stubborn miracles diehard that can never let anything go um you know in, in that space but like it has become a brand is, for you <laughs> it, it, it is it is where I it is where I post my updates I I am literally closing in on 8,000 views just on like my various miracles deck lists and this one thing with triumph it is it is where i post my shit it is where you should post yeah. your shit like everything about moxfield is awesome and we can't recommend it enough and yeah you know just it, it it is literally after the 1k that i played in uh this past weekend the first thing i did where i was like I liked this. I like that. We're going to play in Baltimore SCG next next weekend. And I made all my changes to my deck right after that 1K. I'm going to try more at my local before Baltimore. I'm going to play my list in Baltimore. It's going to be delightful. Like, get on Moxfield, yeah. people. Let's say it's, it's yeah. time. It's it's time to get on Moxfield. Uh, that said, uh, you know, it, it just it's just one of the better looking websites out there too to to do the whole deck building thing on. Uh, I mean, we could go on for ages about this. But at the end of the day, you just have to try it out. We have our links below. Uh, we don't get anything if you use the link below to check it out. We just we just think that this is easily one of the best deck websites out there. So you should be using it. It's not easily one of the best. It's the best. It like, is the best. Yeah. We don't have to. We don't have to beat around. It's it's, it's yeah. at this point. It's just like it's not close. I, I think it would be fun if there was some competition. There just isn't. All right. So let's talk about Gollum Scheming Guide. Let me find him real fast. Gollum Scheming Guide. One in a black. Uh, legendary creature. Halfling horror. Whenever it attacks, look at the top two cards of your library. Put them back in any order. Then choose a land or non-land. An opponent guesses whether the top card of your library is the chosen kind. Reveal that card. If they guessed right, remove Gollum from combat. Otherwise, you draw a card and it can't be blocked this turn. That's a lot of text, but uh, as a two-mana two-one, this is doing a lot. Well, it's a two-mana two-one, and they can't kill it in combat because if you attack and they guessed right it just doesn't leave combat but it did scry you right you did yeah. rearrange you, you did get some amount of selection you reset the top of your deck and then if they guessed wrong you just go up a card and then they can't block it so the idea that it's a two one so it's going to suck in combat for two minutes like they can't kill it in combat they, they can yeah. there's there's no way this ever dies to blocks because either it doesn't get blocked because it's out of combat or it can't be blocked because they guess wrong. So in terms of like this card, just being able to like set the top of your deck every single turn, that's pretty good. Like, also amazing flavor. Like you're, you're, it's riddles in the dark. Riddles know? in the like, dark. That's the whole idea here. Like very awesome flavor. I, I actually really like this. I, I get that, you know, a two mana two one is not doing much and it's just like selection every turn. It's, it's no like two mana every turn to set up the top of your deck for, for free. Like you attack, if they're wrong, you draw a card. If they're right, you describe two. Like yeah. that's pretty good, particularly if you're like, okay, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna stack the fetch on top, and even if they don't give me the fetch, then I can fetch away the bad card that I don't want on my draw, and then keep going with this. Like yeah. they have to point a removal spell, otherwise your you your selection for the rest of the game is just like very good. And, and at the worst, this blocks. Like if you need it to block, it can block. On top of that, like let's imagine a world where uh, you have the ring out, and uh, now your opponent has to worry about is he being hit for five damage? You know, like if if you have been tempted at so many times, like if that dude gets through, it's five damage to your opponent. You know? Yeah, and I think that like this could have the dark confident problem, right? It's two mana. It's a two one. It doesn't do anything when it ETBs. If your opponent just trades for it at one mana, that's probably going to feel bad. 
Yeah. But in the in the situations where they don't, like if Dark Confidant flips you a card, that's fucking awesome. If Gollum scheming scheming guide gets to like actually scry to and then maybe draw a card at any point, like that's gonna feel awesome. So it, it might be too low on the power level, but the fact that you can always just attack with this to, to rearrange the top two and know that it will stay on the board through blocks. That's that, like that, that, that yeah. might be worth exploring. So next we have Gollum patient plotter. Gollum pa patient plotter is uh one in a black for a legendary creature, halfling horror. He's a three, one. Uh, then if it leaves the battlefield, the ring tempts you. Uh, also it has an ability that says black sacrifice, this creature, sacrifice a creature return Gollum to your graveyard from your hand. Or to from your, your hands from your graveyard. <laughs> uh, so, activate only the sorcery. So this is a sacrifice effect that only happens in the graveyard, Phil. I think this card is probably a slam dunk to see play in Legacy. Not in that it's, you know, overwhelmingly powerful, but it does something extremely unique that only two other cards that I can think of in the game do, which is it is a millable sack outlet. So you have Cabal Therapy and Dread Return, and that's it right? Yeah. As playable, millable sack outlets. This card is a sack outlet that you can flip over. Yes, you pay a black, so it's not free the same way that Dread Return and uh, Cabal Therapy are, but those are very good playables that see uh, that are in every single combo deck and every degenerate dredge deck or whatever. Yeah. And Gollum's Patient Plotter being in that space as that kind of very unique effect is, in my mind, guarantees that it will see play in some way. It's not going to necessarily like overhaul any particular archetypes but hey man i absolutely want you know maybe in my uh what you call it my gak deck or whatever i want to flip over a sack outlet that's also a black creature to cast the gak i don't know yeah. like th th there's space for that right like I, I it's like if you go turn one stitcher supplier mill this over and then okay turn two I'm going to sack my Stitcher supplier and mill more, put this back in my hand. Yeah. yeah. All right. Maybe we're in a space like this. When you discard it, it, it's not protecting your shit because it's activate only as a sorcery. But the fact that it's a sacrifice outlet in the graveyard that you can mill is just so powerful. Fiery inscription. That is uh, one red and two colorless for an enchantment. When this enters play, the ring tempts you. And then whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, fiery inscription deals two damage to each opponent. So it doesn't target, and it's another storm kill. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Yeah, this is wild because wasn't there uh, a card that did this in in modern, like back in the day in the Storm deck? I forget what that card was. There's, it's like Arya's Flame or something like that? No, it's not Flame of Arya. Uh, I'm talking like before that. It made you discard your entire hand every turn, though. Oh, that was... Yes, I know what you're talking about. It was... Uh... We'll pop whenever it they take, when whenever they, it whenever out. they take, I forget what it's called, but whenever they take damage, they take that much damage plus two. Plus two, yeah. So like, and, but turn, then you, you had know. to discard. You had to discard your hand at end of turn. This yeah. one is just in, in sorceries. Whenever you cast it, just like this is gutter snipe on an enchantment. Yeah, and, which is way better, way better, way better because it does, it doesn't open you up to removal, but also it doesn't require blue mana. So you could just be in you know whatever whatever your, your mono red storm list and ruby storm list. Ruby storm getting a bunch of upgrades just like. Yeah. 
every every single thing just shocks and them and it's like the other spell was like whenever a damage is dealt this is every time you cast a spell this is just like manamorphose yeah. you know right of flame Shock. you know every single every single card that you cast you just have to Shock. cast it just being it's just saying like cast 10 more spells you win the game the, i think the interesting thing about this is that it does because it doesn't target Leilana Sanctity, fuck you. I guess that's the only thing that I can really think of yeah. because Veil of Summer wouldn't matter, but, you know. Uh, uh, well, it, it's, just, it's just another Storm Kill. Yeah, that's it. That's all we got. Yeah. It's a Storm Kill. Uh, all right. Uh, now we've got Sam the Stouthearted. Uh, this is a 2-1 Halfling Peasant for 1 to white. Uh, flash, when Sam the Stouthearted enters the battlefield, choose up to one target permanent in your graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn. Return to your hand. The ring tempts you. I mean, at a baseline, it's two mana flash, pick up your fetch. If you wastelanded them, even on, on either turn, flash it in, pick up your wasteland. With Caracas, that means that you can do that loop. So you have a a Mangara sort of, a Mangara-esque sort of way. Yeah, I mean, on. geez, man. If you if you are doing this with uh, with that loop, that, that could end the game for a lot of people. But also similarly, if you have the Caracas loop going with this, that means that there's a bunch of um, other meaningful interactions that like, even something as incidental as like, all right, I have this Mishra's Bobble. I'm going to crack it. I'm going to flash in Sam. I'm going to pick up my Mishra's Bobble. Uh, next uh, end step, Krakas, pick it up. Like now we have a, a functional, um, the same thing that Emery does in blue, except this is in white. I get it's way yeah. more mana intensive, but like it's something that you have access to now. Uh, I mean, Samwise is that hearted. There's probably a bunch of different things that we aren't thinking about that is like, you know, what permanence you could pick up. Like yeah. what other things can you just sacrifice for free and pick it up? Like the fact that baseline floor Fetch lands, wasteland, playable, easy. Shire Sheriff. Uh, this is a two mana two two for one in a white halfling soldier. Vigilance. When this enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a token. If you do, exile target creature and opponent controls until Shire Sheriff leaves the battlefield. So what are you thinking I, here? The thing is, I, I don't know if this is actually going to see play. It might not be powerful enough, but it is the cheapest version of this sort of a ring banisher, effect, ba banisher yeah. priest type effect that we've ever seen. Usually this is reserved for three mana creatures and those types of creatures have seen play before. It's probably not good enough in that it's because solitude exists now. So yeah. if you needed a, to search for it, like you would just search for that. But I wanted to give a nod to this because it's the cheapest version of this effect we've ever seen and it only costs a single white. So it's possible that it's splashable if you're playing a deck that is making a ton of tokens. And there is one that we'll get to that uh, I think there's going to be you know, let call up Dukes on Twitch, call up Strass Daddy. I think that there's going to be an overhaul to the Maverick deck uh, based yeah. on the cards that we're about to get to. And I could see this being part of that because that new Maverick style of deck spams a lot it's of gonna, tokens. Yeah, it's going to create some tokens. Um, and this uh, being a cheaper way to, to leverage that, I think is really powerful. Yeah. Stern Scolding is a counter spell for one blue mana. And it says counter target creature spell with power of or toughness of two or less. So I think this is 100% a playable card, obviously. It is very good. I mean, we're it talking hits, about it, right? It hits a good majority of the format. Pretty much every hits creature. Hits Delver, obviously. It, hits Dragon's Raid Chandler. Every creature that's not exactly like Murktide, Gurmag Angler, Death Shadow. Doesn't uh, hit Death Shadow. It doesn't hit Death Shadow no matter what your life total is. Counter target creature spell with power two or less is always going to be strong against the decks that you would want it against. It hits yeah. almost everything ma meaningful in DNT because they are a recruiter of the guard deck. Yeah. And so they are by definition going to only be playing with cards that they can tutor for with toughness two or less, which means that this will hit the entire deck. 
Uh, hey guys, there's the just been a reprint of uh, Cavern of Souls, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck Cavern of Souls, fuck that card so much. Um, but like, so I mean, one one area that 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 is meaningful is, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you like my my personal experience where I'm already like, yeah, Stern Scolding is definitely something that I'm gonna want to own four of beyond yeah. the fact that it's just good at like snagging a majority of the creatures in the format is a lot of times like a, a lot of the conversations i've had with the, with people on this card is like why would you play this card if you're already playing like source to plowshares prismatic ending like you're just trying to line those stuff up with the creatures that they're doing the thing is that a lot of the time the creatures that you would want to catch with this the thing that matters about those creatures is their effects i've been playing a lot of triumph at saint catherine and solitude fucks me up right yeah but Swords to Plowshares and Prismatic Ending, it doesn't matter if I catch the Solitude with it. Like, they've already exiled my shit. Like, I need to catch that Solitude on the stack. Yep. And so being able to, for one mana, be able to fight over any of that, you can catch the Flicker Wisp, you can catch the Recruiter, you catch their Stoneforge Mystic, you catch their Thalia. Like, it hits everything. It, in Delver, it hits all of that. If Delver moves over into Bowmasters, like this hits the Bowmasters at one yeah, mana. Yeah, like, this card's going to counter a lot of Bowmasters, I feel so like. It, it counters a lot of the creatures, and... For the most part, it, it it's going to trade up with everything, you know. Like with Solitude, it's not going to trade up on mana, but it will trade up on a card. Uh, against like things like Mother Runes, Delver, GRC, like it's not going to trade up in mana. But at that point, you're minor misstepping, right? And that's the space that we're in for there. Now, whether or not you're main decking this, I think it depends on what you're specifically trying to combat with it. Because you know, if you have this sleeved up and then you go up against Doomsday, you're going to feel pretty embarrassed because it's only going to hit the Thassa's Oracle, and they have Cavern for that. So, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not going to get fortunate there. But against a lot of the other decks that in the format that are combo-based decks, like this hits Painter, this hits either part of the Cephalid Breakfast combo, like it's it's live against the majority of the field. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, I could see in the slots where you'd be playing, like maybe your Pierce, maybe your Fluster, like maybe you're playing this spell as snare, two of, yeah. your Spell Snare, whatever that is, like whatever that slot is, like maybe you're playing this as your two of, if you expect to go into a field where the most potent things that you care about, if you play against Narset and Teferi decks, this is going to be embarrassing. You'd want Spell Pierce there. But if you expect to go against a lot of Painter and Breakfast, you're going to want this because Spell Pierce and you're looking at them casting Cephalid Illusionist and going, well, this sucks. I, I think that there's some push and pull here, but I think Stern Scolding is 100% a legacy playable, particularly in the context that we're in as a metagame right now. It hits Emery. It hits Psy. It hits all of that shit. I think this yep. is, it hits the thought monitor. Like it hits a lot of the field. So yeah. I, I could I, I could see this seeing a ton of play and people having to potentially adapt around it. You know, like I could see some churn in the format a little bit, right? Like I'm going to play this creature instead of this one and because they're sort of interchangeable, but this one can't get hit by Stern Scolding. Yeah. I could see that sort of churn yeah. happening. Well, uh, before we go any any further, uh, Phil, I uh, just wanted to quickly point out uh, well, one, thank you for watching so far, everybody. Thank you for listening so far. Uh, I wanted to point out that we're both wearing our Eternal Dirtles merch today, and uh, you can find uh, links below to uh, pick up your Eternal Dirtles merch. Uh, it won't get to you in time for Baltimore, but uh, for the next big event. What it do. What it do, indeed. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the next card. That is Birthday Escape. Birthday Escape Birthday is escape. a one-mana sorcery. Uh, it says, draw a card, the ring tempts you. So it costs a blue mana, sorcery, draw a card, the ring tempts you. I don't know if this is ever going to see play, but you're not getting it any cheaper than this, my guy. This is as cheap like, as the ring tempts you gets, right? The, the the opportunity for this cost is it's a blue sorcery, the ring tempts you. I'm like, at a baseline, you know, you want more sorceries and with your DRC and then your DRC can't be blocked by creatures with greater power like this is going to be able to sneak it through your opponent's merc tide or whatever like because for free on it's, the ring tempts you like, eh, it's I, worth thinking about 
It's worth thinking about. You play this as a one-up just to get sneaky, just to get weird. If this never sees play, I'm not surprised. If yeah, it sees yeah, yeah. play, it's because the opportunity cost of cycle the ring tempts you, and now the ring tempts you is just introduced for the rest of the game is like, okay, you know, yeah. like of course, you, it's been yeah. pretty good. We say all that to say this, mm, probably not, but it maybe. Would be cool. I mean, I, it's a cantrip. <laughs> I, 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 if anybody played literally any kind of cantrip against me, I'm going to be like, well, yeah, I guess so. It's a cantrip, like you know, yep. sure. Uh, incidental synergies, right? If if someone plays this against me, I'm going to be like, oh, they're they're onto something, you know? <laughs> yeah. If, 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 this were against, if this were played against me, the first thing I'd be like is, okay, what did they think of that I didn't? Yeah, because yeah. I, I'm not Respect. like I wouldn't I'm be like, like I, I, immediately. I be like, I'm like, what's going on? I'm not like, what are you doing? I'd be like. What are you doing? One in a red for a instant speed card called Cast Into the Fire. Uh, choose one. Cast Into the Fire deals one damage to each of up to two target creatures or exile target artifact. So I think it's this is just like the card that deals... We, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. It exiles Cauldra. It's going to exile the One Ring. It exiles uh, Chalice of the Void so that Emery can't recast it. Yep. That The the exile clause on you know, your exiles- shatter... Yeah, Exile's that very is... potent right now, uh, especially in decks like like Eight Cast, where you can get that value back out of that card with with Emery. So I think uh, hitting the right card with this, uh, or or just like the versatility of this card. Period. Like, oh, I'll ping those two guys. Oh, oh, you have an artifact. You know, like you can. It it's like I was saying about Flame of Honor the other day. Uh, it's the card you need when you need it. This also strikes me as. The thing that will matter if Bowmasters becomes playable, because then it has more things that it's going to be live against. It's going to be live against the artifact decks. But yeah. then if this sees play, if this moves like, you know, brings the return of Grixis Delver between DRC Delver and Orcish Bowmasters, like it's a bunch of X ones. Now, I think I misspoke on the previous time we talked about this, where I said it was a forked bolt. It's not quite forked bolt because you, you don't can't hit, put yeah, you can't both, both, you can't put the, the opponent and you can't put both on uh, one points creature. of damage yeah. on one creature. So you can't actually kill an X2, but. If your opponent plays Bowmasters and then you just catch both the army and the Bowmasters with this, not bad. If yeah. you catch, if this catches even one creature, like at that point, it's just a Doomblade. It's totally fine. The The value of this being able to make it so that your deck isn't just dead to Cauldra touching the table or dead to the one ring because it touched the table uh, or, you know, you have your meltdown, but, you know, they can just rebuy the chalice with uh, Emery and this can make sure that that doesn't happen the the versatility on this card is not going to blow anybody away but it's an upgrade in the way that you meaningfully needed it Nasty End Nasty End is an instant for one in a black as an additional cost to the spell sacrifice a creature draw two cards we know that we've heard this before but if the sacrifice creature was legendary draw three cards instead so it's a two mana draw three. If you sacrifice a creature, it's potentially worth more if it trades for like a removal spell or something at instant yeah. speed. Uh, yeah, like imagine you're sacrificing uh, Gollum and then getting him back. Yeah, the thing is with with these kinds of spells, like Village Rights has never been good enough, even when it does trade. Like there just isn't yeah. the shell of a deck that's valuable enough for that. And that's one mana draw two cards, sacrifice a creature uh, at instant speed. So it's like if it trades with a removal spell plus puts you up two cards. The thing is that the 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 texture of the deck that you need to have to support this sort of thing doesn't really exist in Legacy. In Bill, I want to blow your mind because there is there is a portion of this card that you aren't you haven't thought about just yet. I'm going to blow your Talk mind. Are you me. ready? Please please do. 
What is the first thing that happens when the ring tempts you? Oh yeah, you're saying. Oh that. yeah, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's actually like this. So this plays with that, right? Like, oh, I'll sacrifice my ring bear, who's legendary, and draw three cards. That's interesting. If there was a space for that, yeah. If, if yeah. you if you're in the ring tempts you, I mean, yeah. If you're in the space where you also can afford black, oh yeah, okay, okay. If you just want a raw card, the thing is, is that like, yeah, I want to see it. Because yeah, I mean, I, I'm just I, like, I'm not saying you you need to play this this, but that adds a little bit more context to this card, and I think that 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 allows this card to be at least a consideration. Don't get me wrong; I'm still playing predict, so I haven't gotten out of my own way. <laughs> yeah, but there, there 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 is the contention about the format being fast enough right now that the cards that just draw cards but don't affect the board are really tough to play. I'm playing predict because I'm a, a, a clown and can't let go of things. So if nasty end is in that similar space where you're already ma- you're making some amount of deck building concession and it doesn't affect the board, if anything, it's weakening your board because you're sacrificing a creature. Like I could see those like unforeseen sort of uh, calculations within the play patterns of this, making it so that it's like pushes it out and onto the fringes. I mean, two mana draw three is is powerful, and that ring interaction is interesting. So yeah, I, I, it would be cool if this shows up. I just don't, I don't believe in it. You know? Yeah, I get that. All right, we're going to go into the uh, gold cards now. Uh, so with that said, let's just go right to right for the throat with Sauron, the Dark Lord. Uh, for okay, yeah. three, a blue, a black, and a red. Ward, sacrifice a legendary artifact or creature. Uh, whenever an opponent casts a spell, a mass orcs one. Whenever an army you control deals combat damage to a player, the ring tempts you. Whenever the ring tempts you, you may draw you you may discard your hand and draw four cards. So the reason that I think this card is good is I think that this is similar in the space of what we saw with Atraxa. We learned that Atraxa was valuable as the big fatty of choice because obviously the ETB is good, but the more a higher value on it is that it pitches to all of the relevant pitch spells. It's blue. I should so note it also, Phil, this is a seven six. It's a seven six. <laughs> yeah. So. It's it's blue, so it pitches to the blue uh, force of will cards, and then it's black, so it pitches to grief. Those two things are what put Atraxa over the edge yeah. as like a valuable fatty in in the context of like I want to make fatties or and I, I want and fury. If you want to pitch it to if, fury, you can do if, that. If, too. if you if you wanted to play it, it could pitch to fury. But th- I think the thing that like a lot of the subtlety of this card is that as a fatty that does the the pitch shenanigans, it also pitches this, to subtlety. When it's put when it's put into play, yeah. When it's put into play, your opponent is never removing this from the table. This is not like a Traxa where you go up cards and then they pyroblast it. Or they can just caracas it even though you're going a bunch of cards. Yeah. Ward sacrifice a legendary artifact or legendary creature. You are never fulfilling that. No. Like, maybe DNT because yeah, DNT is the only deck that like I see but, like reasonably doing that. Uh, unless the ring has tempted you, but, which like, we just explained. <laughs> this the, card's the made thing, worse by the ring tempting people, actually. I, I just see this as like, sacrifice a legendary artifact or legendary creature as part of its ward means that you are never touching this. Your Pyroblast does not kill this. Your yeah. Hydroblast does not kill this. Your Caracas cannot bounce this, like, without some crazy loop that, like, I don't know what decks... I mean, uh, the answer uh, is everyone needs to start playing Birthday Escape so they can make one of their creatures legendary so they can yeah. kill the Dark Lord. <laughs> like the the, in, the the legendary artifacts of like maybe this thing could get removed is like yeah you could sacrifice your mox opal but the mox opal decks playing like the only mox opal deck that is playing uh pyroblast is painter you know if that's the case you're probably not going for this against painter because there are a combo decks you just grizzle brand them but this is like the one of as the the a card that is just not removable from the table yeah it's just sticky and then 
Anytime your opponent casts a spell, you amass orcs one. And that means that every single time you attack with your army, they have to fight over it because otherwise you just draw four cards. Yeah. The, like if they, you're going to, obviously you're going to attack with Sauron, the dark Lord, right? And then you're going to attack with your orc and your opponent has to dis- decide which of these two things that they, that they need to block. If they're, if they're down to like, okay, I can block one of them. Oh, do I want to take seven or do I want my opponent to have an entirely new grip? You know, like, like this, like, will this see play over Grizzlebrand or Atraxa at this point? Probably not. Is it good enough for to see play bet more so than Archon? Probably not. I play it, this over it, the the demon that makes you discard your hand at the end of turn for sure. For sure, for sure. But like this is this is like a, a one of target that it's like if you're playing against something that's like super interactive where it's like okay yeah I could play Archon but then they would just have Source to Plowshares. I can play Atraxa but maybe they have Dress Down. Uh, if if Grizzlebrand isn't good enough because my life total isn't high enough or whatever, like it, once you have this in play, it just doesn't leave the table. You yeah. know, like well, perfect like, example is if I'm playing against a Miracles deck like your deck, right? You have Caracas out. The first thing I'm going to do is get this if I'm going to if I think I can resolve reanimation because you can't Caracas this off the board. Yeah, it's like you have to have like dress down plus removal spell for this to yeah. like turn off the ward. But like now we're just jumping through a bunch of hoops. Like the threat of like every time your opponent casts a spell, it splits the bot and, yeah. you know, pumps your team. And then whenever the ring tempts you, you can discard your hand and draw four cards. And that's where it's like, okay, if we're playing something that incidentally makes the ring tempt you, like I'm going to play birthday escape, draw four cards or draw five cards, right? Like yeah. if, if this is on the table and you birthday escape, you draw five. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Maybe, yeah. maybe 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 we're draw- maybe we're jumping through too many hoops but like if this is like incidentally in your reanimator deck because it pitches to all this stuff i'm just saying that like i think that this card initially written off nobody gave a shit right no but i think this is but, a but, card that that you, you should pick up a few of just in case because it's probably relatively cheap too right in context i think like having this as a one of or maybe you move into this if you really want to be able to play like a, a, a bonus of, of pitch spells in your show and tell reanimator list or whatever I think we're I think we're looking at like maybe it's safe to have one of these in your collection. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a twenty dollar card, I, by I, the way. <laughs> I, 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 I was I was super like I didn't even think about this card in the slightest when it was first spoiled. I was like, yeah. whatever, it's too important. It's like just get Grizzlebrand. Who gives a fuck? Moving and on. That's yeah. still that's still that's still true. But I think after I thought about it for a little bit longer, I was like, actually, in context, like this might be a pretty powerful target to have. Well, we've got it. We've we've got the yin. Let's talk about the yang. Aragorn the Uniter. Uh, is a four mana that's red, green, white, blue for a legendary creature, human noble. And uh, this also has four effects. Whenever you cast a white spell, make a 1-1 white human soldier. Uh, Blue spell, scry two. Uh, Red spell, he domes the opponent for three. Um, And uh, green spell is target creature gets plus four, plus four until in turn. Why are we talking about this, Phil? I think if you're playing this over Omnath in your deck, you're probably wrong. But I could see this as the one of in the Green Sun Zenith Yorion deck. Yeah, Green Suns makes this card like really interesting because, you know, the value that you can get out of this card just just by it being on the board for a turn is kind of nuts. So if you get to untap with this card, you should be winning that turn. And that deck is already interested in playing like, you know, Ice Fang Quaddles and shit. So like, you know. Yeah, it, you just it, scry it, two and give a creature plus four plus four. This is incentivizing to play with multicolored spells. And yeah. that deck already has a lot of those things. It being in the Green Sun Zenith deck, like it's already playing like a Leovold and stuff. So you're in that five color space. I, Not I can't to mention like that. just if this guy attacks and you cast a green, let's say you cast another Green Sun, you're attacking with a nine nine. 
you know, like if you catch another green sun, you can flash in endurance and like pump this as well. Like there's, oh my a, God. there's some stuff you, you can, you, you can flash in the, you know, ice fang and make this a, a, a beef thing. The thing is, is that like, is your green sun that you spent for five mana to get this on the board and then untap. And now you're attacking with a nine, nine with no evasion. Like, is that good enough? Who knows? But like, yeah, I, I don't think this is going to show up, but if it does show up, I can't think of any other context other than as the one of green sun target in your yeah. yeah. I think as a one of agreed. Um, all right, so and now we're going to the King of the Oathbreakers. King of the Oathbreakers is four mana for a, uh, that is uh, two white black for a legendary creature, Spirit Noble, with flying as a 3-3. Three, three. Whenever this enters the battlefield or another spirit you control it, there's, becomes... There's no, there's, oh. there's no ETB effect. No ETB so there, effect. whenever uh, this or another spirit you control becomes the target of a spell, it phases out. Whenever the king of oathbreakers or another spirit phases in create a tapped one one white spirit token creature with flying now this references spirits not non non-token spirits yeah so normally a four mana three three we'd just be like whatever dies the bolt fuck you but this card can never be touched by spot removal the second you target it it phases out if you try and target it again it phases out think of like you can never stifle the standstill they'll still just draw three cards King of the Oathbreakers, if this is in play against like the fair interactive matchups, this just can never be removed from the table. Like they can never point stuff at it. Yeah, now, you have to wipe the it, board. The thing is, all, as well, is that this is also, it says whenever it's targeted, not whenever your opponent targets it. So you could target it with things as well to like make one ones. So yeah. let's say, uh, you know, end of your turn, you're like, well, this removal spell is actually better for me to go wide right now. I need to like get a clock. You could target this, phase it out. It makes a one one when it phases back in, and now you're ready to, you know, like there, there's stuff like I, if this shows up, it'll show up in that context. You know, I don't think it's necessarily good enough, but the fact that it is unkillable, that like it, you can't, you you either terminus this, you supreme verdict it, but no spot removal is ever going to touch it. And I think that that is uh, an interesting space for yeah. uh, a, a, the black white tokens deck that they're really trying to. Whole decks have been built on less for sure. Whole decks have been built on less, so. All right, we got Lotho, Corrupt Sheriff. That is a white and a black for a 2-1 Halfling Rogue legendary creature. Whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, you lose a life and create a treasure token. Nice and simple. Nice and simple. Casting two spells, we've seen how easy that is. Like, yeah, I get that. Easier get when that. you have an extra treasure token every turn, too. Way easier when you have an extra treasure token. So it's fixing your mana. It's making sure that... What, like, what's the card, um, the flying bird that didn't, that didn't quite make it that... Ledger Shredder. Ledger Shredder. Yeah. So Ledger Shredder, like think about how often Ledger Shredder triggers both on your turn and your opponent's turn. This would do the same. I get that it comes at the loss of life, but creating treasure tokens mean that if your opponent two spells while you're tapped out, it means you're no longer tapped out. Yeah. Right. And can and can interact now. If you play this plus any spell, like play this plus Mistress Bubble, now you're not tapped out, right? You have, you have, you, you can always be shields up. It's fixing your mana. So like any of your one mana interaction is live. I, it, it's implicit that it only uh, happens once per turn because you can only catch your second spell one time. Exactly, yeah. But, but the fact that- It can happen can each it, turn cycle twice though. But the fact that you can do it and your opponent can do it means that you can be netting a lot of treasure really quickly. Yeah. Context matters, right? Like what are you using the treasure for? What is the matchup? What are the other yeah. cards in your deck? Like what's the splash? This like, is the like smothering tithe of this set for for like EDH as well. Like this is this is a card yeah. that I think I think everyone's going to want to have one of these in their in their collection to to play in a deck that can support like these colors. 
if you're in black white you're playing this 100 right yeah. it doesn't ca- it doesn't care what the spell you cast is it just says whenever they cast their second spell yeah it does it, it can be literally anything if they did two things you make a treasure everybody and, likes mana <laughs> like we're, we're, we're now in we're now in a world where we have to think to ourselves similarly similarly to like when renin six was in the format can you afford to play an x1 that's not one mana if Renin Six exists because it will just die to the Renin Six and that yep. sucks. And now we're going to be in that world again with Bowmasters, right? Can I play? Can I play anything that has one toughness that's more than one mana? Because if it gets clipped by Mo- Bowmasters, that's just going to suck shit. And Lortho might be caught up in that wave. I mean, it, that that assumes that you're trying to draw more cards, though. Maybe you're not in these. Colors. I think like like the fact that this does it's it's two mana and doesn't do anything on its own. It does need something else to happen, which means that you could just pay two mana. It gets clipped. It's like okay, we've had the dark confident problem, right? We yeah. just talked about that earlier with Gollum. Like it could just get swept up into that same sweep of of creatures that can never make it because they need they don't deliver value immediately and they die to everything, particularly to something that's just going to put people up cards. It might not see play. It might be in bad colors anyway and wouldn't have seen play regardless. But the effect is really powerful. It's color fixing and it will happen way more often than you think when it's on the table if it doesn't just die. I mean, it's also in the space where it's like, okay, if you have this on the table and they can trip and then point a removal spell on it at the same turn, then it makes a treasure. So they would have to point it at the, uh, you know, have to wait until your turn. And then that can open up some some interesting play patterns because that means you're untapped and then can fight over it. And who knows? All right. Well, let's talk about Mary Esquire of Rohan for a red and a white a legendary creature halfling knight with haste as long as uh, sorry mary has first strike uh as long as it's equipped and whenever you attack with mary and another legendary creature draw a card i don't see the context in which there's a legacy deck that would ever be doing this again it goes back to like the legendary yoshimaru deck where it's like yeah okay, that's fly, exactly now, that's all i'm if, thinking of right if you're here. moving into red it's like okay yeah now you have an aggressive you you're now in two color zoo and are in that space you'd have to try and figure out how you're working that mana base out if that deck can exist it's possible that this is part of it but yeah i, I again i I'm, I'm questionable on that deck because it's zoo it doesn't exist yet exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean we could have been saying the same thing about uh eight cast two years ago you know uh yeah. and then look at that now it's one of the best decks in the format so it's always worth thinking outside of the decks that already exist in the format pippin guard of the citadel for one white and one blue, a legendary creature, halfling soldier, uh, vigilance, ward one, another tar- uh, tap it, another target creature you control gains protection from the card type of your choice until end of turn. So I'm trying to think of ways where this is meaningfully different than Mother of Ruins, like the card type versus color. Yeah. And I can't think of any world where that's better. Like, I mean, I get that this is well, blue and white. So like that's like b- being blue is potentially meaningful, but two minutes for your two here's, two, here's one, one nothing, but here's one place that it is that is more meaningful. Uh, if you want to get something through unblocked, you say creature. And if your opponent has a black creature and a red creature, it's still getting through. That's true. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Vigilance yeah. is huge on this too, because that means you can attack with this as well and still use its ability. Uh, the word one is nice, obviously, because mom mom tends to get shot first. What, what the way that this? I I don't think that this will see play. But the ward one does imply that, similarly to how you play your mom, if they uh, hit it with a removal spell, it traded at mana parity. This yeah. with ward ones means that even a single mana removal spell will trade at mana parity. That's that means that this is never going to be traded down for a single removal spell, which is nice. I don't think this is going to see play because there isn't a blue white creature deck that wants this right yeah Cur- there, there's currently been a, no. there's been a play. yeah, yeah. there's currently been plenty no. of time where like you could you could splash in your uh dnt deck or something where they've moved into black for various effects they already have mother of runes for this kind of effect 
And unless they're really, really looking for copies five through eight, I just don't see this ever getting there. All right, well, let's talk about something that's a little bit more in line with probably what might see play. That's Samwise Gamgee for a green and a white, a legendary creature, halfling peasant. Whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, create a food token. Sacrifice three foods, return target historic card from your graveyard to your hand. So to remind people, historic cards are artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. So anything legendary is historic. All artifacts are historic. Any saga is historic. I want to talk about this card in context with the other Frodo and the other Sam uh, yeah. from the commander decks. So let's read yeah. those as well. So first, Frodo. Frodo, Adventurous Hobbit, is a black-white partner with Sam, Loyal Attendant. It has Vigilance. It's a 1-3. It says, whenever Frodo, Hobbit attack, Frodo, Adventurous Hobbit attacks, if you gain three or more life this turn, the ring tempts you. Then if Frodo is your ring bearer, and the ring has tempted you two or more times this game, draw a card. So hopefully at that point, the ring has tempted you. So this is a, a card draw engine. He has to be a ring bearer. He's not the part of the deck that's interesting to me. The thing that is interesting is that he partners with Sam, Loyal Attendant, which is one green-white for a legendary creature, Halfling Peasant. It's a 2-4. It partners with Frodo, obviously. And then it says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, create a food token. Activated abilities of foods you control cost one less to activate. So that Sam... Plus the other Sam, Samwise Gamgee, these two Sams together are where I think there is space for a new Maverick deck. Because yeah. all of this food interaction, Sam just makes a, every turn, the Sam Loyal Attendant at, at the beginning of combat creates a piece of cardboard. It's creating a food token. Mm -hmm. Sam, the other Sam, whenever you cast a, a non-token creature, you create a food that is not limited per turn. So you can cast two creatures and make two foods. This Sam makes those activated abilities of the food cheaper. So you not, you're not going to lose in combat because you can just gain a bunch of life. Every single mana represents three life every turn. We've seen yeah. Uro do that and just make it so that you can never actually win races. That's really powerful. Let's not forget the that other Sam Loyal Attendant is not bolt bait. He's got a four butt. It's not bulk bait. It, you can't pyroblast it. It's, uh, yeah, it's 2-4. When Sam ETBs, you can just tutor for Frodo. So it does draw a card, which yeah. is another, uh, uh, it's a creature that you can then use with the other Samwise to make another token. The Samwise Gamgee, the two-mana 2-2 two -two legend that sacrifices three foods to pick up stuff out of your graveyard, between the this Sam and that Sam, and then making sure that you have Krakas to keep looping creatures, like yeah. you'll just never have value. stuff to do. You just yeah. sacrifice the three foods, get back something out of your graveyard. Like you And if anybody you, disrupts an this, disrupts this, you can use Samwise Gamgee to get it back. You know, like get it back. And then you have the other Sam the Stout Hearted to that's a, a, another legendary thing that the ring tempts you, which turns on Frodo. You can just play Sam Samwise Tribal. You, you know? can play Sam Frodo Tribal, like yeah. in this in this in this Obzon Maverick deck. And it's incidental because Sam can tutor the Frodo. Sam, the Stouthearted, is already a playable card with the stuff that you'd want in anyway. Samwise Gamgee is just paying you off so you never lose in races. But then if you're playing in a con if you're playing in a matchup where racing isn't relevant, you're playing against Jeskai Control or whatever, every three foods you have, it's not gated. You just sacrifice the three foods whenever you want, pick up a card out of your graveyard. And and how we're, do they even how do they even play against that? Because it's not like they're going to bring in meltdown against you. You know, like the, the other the and the the other context that that's cool about this is that if you're an Obzon, that means that you're dipping into black. And now, like I don't know if we would go that far, but you have Asmora that makes food that they can then turn all of this food that you're generating from all of these different permanents to make it so they can never resolve a creature ever again because yeah. they'll just you just shoot it down for free and then you just get that food right back with Frodo with uh, Sam. So it's like, there's this whole Legends Obzon Maverick deck where I'm like, all these engines all fit together in ways where if you don't need the, you don't necessarily need the other piece, but they all scale 
so much for so much value and they're all cheap. They're all one to three mana creatures yeah. that are all resilient. Two, four, two mana, two, two, that ETBs and make and, and gives you value. Frodo, searches for Sam. Sam, searches for Frodo. You can green sun Zenith for Sam to tutor up Frodo. You can green sun Zenith for the other Sam, play another creature, make a food. It all just seems to, like, in theory, it all just coalesces into this, like, really resilient. Just a snowball of, like, just, just a snowball advantage. Of and if you're playing against, it's like, if they're trying to attack you, you're like, whatever, dude. Like, blank the attack, gain a fuckload of life. Yeah. And then just get all of those creatures, all those tokens back. Like, Wild. It all it, it all feels like it works together in a way where I'm like, A connects to B, B connects to C, C connects to D, D, D. Like, it yeah. just all flows. And I'm like, man, do I want to play a deck that doesn't have Ponder and Brainstorm in it because there's all these interesting things and it's still a Green Sun Zenith deck? Like, at the baseline, it's the Sam deck, right? You want all the Sam cards. Between the two Green Sams to be a Green Sun Zenith deck, so it's like your Green Sun Zenith can get you get, still get your Dryad Arbors. You can turn to your Sam Loyal Attendant to get your Frodo or turn to through a daze on your other Sam, and then now you're making foods. I don't know. It just it all yeah. feels it, it all feels it, really it's just good. A, it's just a total value engine. So next, the next card we want to talk about is Prince... Imrahil, the fair, one white and one blue, legendary creature, human noble. When you draw your second card each turn, create a 1-1 one, one white human soldier token. And it's a 2-2. Two, two. So and it's 2-2. Two, two. It, the space where I thought about this is like, we, we, it's another engine with Staff of the Storyteller. That's really the spot where I think it's, yep. it's, it's a, it, that's the only spot that I think it's playable. It, the, there has been space where people have tried out like, um, uh, I know the Kevin, the guy who owns Gamestoria uh, that I play out every week, uh, he's really liked... Uh, improbable alliance as like the thing to pair with a staff to like make the engine going because when you draw your second card it's literally the same thing you make a one one fairy that okay you know that fuels your staff and then your staff fuels your indomitable oh yes 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 so the yeah, engine yeah, just yeah. goes so it's exactly that except if you're not interested in like that deck is just sky and so playing a blue red enchantment but it, that exposes it to hydroblast which maybe you don't necessarily want it does make flyers which is more relevant but this is this being blue and white, which is your base colors to begin with, and then maintaining that engine. Yeah. And if you want to have a Caracas in your deck, that's not necessarily the worst because Caracas can still, uh, is the white mana that you need for staff. So it's like, I don't necessarily think this will see play because you don't necessarily want a two mana two-two, but it is the thing that makes that engine continue. So if you staff and then Prince Imahil on, you know, turn two staff, turn three Prince Imahil, you're representing an engine that they either have to start using the removal spells on or they don't. And if you have this in your deck, and your opponent sees that if you're in something like the mirror, it's going to be feel really weird to like board out your shorts to postures or something. Cause you're like, well, my, my pyroblast now could get overloaded because I need it for the planeswalkers and I need it for Prince Immerhill. And now I also, need, you know, it's like you, yeah. you start to play that game that is similar to like, I have triumph in my deck. Are you actually going to take your removal out? I have Prince Immerhill in my deck with my staffs. So are you really going to take, because otherwise I just fucking bury you. you know? Yeah. All right. Well, we have finished all the multicolored cards. We're on to the artifacts now. And uh, we're gonna start off with no. The there's wondering... there's one more multi one more oh, multicolored oh, oh. card. Is there one more? What is it? Ship ship into the west is a multicolored card. Ship into so that is a uh, commander card. We haven't gotten to the, those yet. Oh my bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this is the main set. We're just doing the main set right now, and at the end we'll do the commander cards. So I I skipped I skipped ahead with the Sam and Frodo, which is a commander cards, but they partner yes. with each other, and it's part of, it's part of that whole shtick with yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Maverick thing. But like. Yo, dupes, Fork and Strass Daddy, figure out the Samwise Gamgee Maverick deck. Figure it yeah. out. All right, so we'll talk about the One Ring, uh, I think, in depth, in a little bit more depth, once we see it get played in the format. But we can already, like, just look at this card at the base and be like, yeah, this is very good. Uh, if you don't know, the One Ring is a four-mana legendary artifact that is indestructible. 
when it comes when it enters the battlefield and you cast it you gain protection from everything until uh the, until your next turn and then you can uh at the beginning of your upkeep you lose one life for each burden counter on the one ring and then uh you can just the first ability on this card is you can tap this uh put a burden counter on it and draw a card for each burden counter on the one ring so uh, if you can find ways to untap this, that gets bonkers. If you can find ways to remove it and recur it so that you're keeping the uh, protection ability up. Uh, there's a lot we can talk about with this, but I think I want to do a more in-depth, like, you know, one of those more three-minute videos where we just, like, kind of drive into what this card's about instead of, Buy like, running on. Buy your Drafnas now. Yes, get your Drafnas. Uh, but uh, for, for, for what it's worth, this card's good. And we'll definitely see play in Legacy. But I think that uh, we, we would be wasting your time if we told you uh, everything about this card. Uh, it would take us another hour and a half to, <laughs> to cards, go through. Cards busted. Cards yeah, busted. it's very uh, good. We will, we will, you will see the One Ring. It will be part of the format. It, yes. If you don't have answers to it, you will die to it. It is extremely powerful. <clears throat> uh, every time we talk about it, I say, please just fucking sleeve it up one time. Watch it one time. You will be convinced after one time. Yeah. If uh, but, if, uh, if we've gotten uh, to that point in in our history, uh, I'll put a ticker up here for uh, the video where we talk specifically about the one wing uh, one ring. So uh, you can that, click on that. The, uh, I, I did uh, realize that there are two more uh, colorless cards in the main, multicolored cards in the main set that I just oh. want to touch on real quick. Yeah, go ahead. There's, not, there's there's not a lot to discuss, but they are on the on the cusp of playable in ways that like people I imagine will experiment with them. The first one is Flame of uh, Anor. Is that how you pronounce it? Anor? Yes. Uh, I, and that that is one of the ones that I put at the end because I was going to uh, point to the video where, where I talk about that as well. Oh, but okay, you are great, correct. Great. We yep. should we should point that out. The Flame of Anor uh, is is a uh, pretty interesting card. And I think, uh, like I said, you'll get more commentary if you click on the, the video wherever, wherever that is. Yeah, so that is to say, at the end, we have... Uh, we're going to talk about the, the the context of these cards as well. So don't think that we also just skip Sauron's ransom. We'll talk about that. Yeah, too. Sauron's ransom. Uh, I, I hopefully enough time has passed that I can put up another card. We have that video as well. Uh, we I have a whole list of single card strategies videos on our on our YouTube page that you can look at that I, I'm starting to build out. Uh, and those so, are like sort of a higher quality, more like one one to one sort of a. Uh, I write it, Phil edits it, and then uh, and then I perform it. Uh, uh, kind of thing, and they're v very easy to grok. The Palantir of Orthanc as a three-mana legendary artifact that says, at the beginning of your end step, put an influence counter on Palantir of Orthanc and Scry 2. Then, target opponent may have you draw a card. If that player doesn't, you mill X cards, where X is the number of influence counters on Palantir of Orthanc, and that player loses life equal to the total mana value of those cards. In context, I can't think of where this would see play, but in a deck where it does see play, like if this was sitting across the table from me, right? Mm -hmm. Regard, uh, even uh, like uh, assume whatever deck you want, they are playing with this card. Sure. If this is across the table from me and my opponent goes, okay, I'm going to scry two. Would you like me to draw a card or do you want me to mill stuff and take damage? I will always let them draw a card. Yeah. As, well, as I painful mean, as that is, I'm, I, I would treat this, I, I would treat this <laughs> text as three mana legendary artifact at the beginning of your end step uh, target opponent scries two draws a card like they preordain at the end of, is, a, is an enchantment art it's an artifact that says they preordain at the end of every turn that's yeah. what i look at this as because unless the context of the deck that i have otherwise seen isn't going to dome me for a bajillion out of nowhere 
I'm not interested in playing like against the guys that are like, yeah, I'm playing show and tell and I'm going to do, you know, flip my Emmercool to this and fucking kill you. Yeah. Like I'm not interested well, I mean, in losing e- to that. Be, even beyond that. So like burn has uh fire blast, of course, but think about le- legacy and think about the cards that are powerful in, in almost every deck. They're dealt spells. Like, you know, uh, Murktide Regent is what? Seven mana? You know, like, whoops, I flipped over my Murktide Regent. Seven damage to you. You'd rather they just draw the Murktide at that point, I think. I, I Also, like, you know, the, the all of the free spells, too, are high converted mana costs for the most part. Yeah. I mean, obviously... Five damage is, is going to hurt. Context is everything, but, you know, it, it's going to be tough to play with this in multiples because, you know, they don't stack. It's legendary. Le- yeah. le- le- legendary artifact is like, it's tough. Like, you never want to see the second one of this. I get that you can sort of insulate yourself against that because you get to scry to every turn, so you can sort of yeah. protect yourself from ever drawing the second one, but it's a powerful card don't get me wrong yeah. like if, if there was an enchantment that was just three colorless mana you know preordain at the end of every turn like that's going to be tough to outgrind it, at, it, at its at its floor fill you can sacrifice this as a ward cost to get rid of sauron the dark lord that's true you could sacrifice it to get rid of sauron <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the, the the thing about this too is that if you are playing just like a whatever if you're just slotting this in as like a value spell you're already competing against like teferi and narset and uro and it's gonna be tough if you were like okay i'm gonna play this you know you'd want some value off the mill yeah that's the thing is the mill is not is not a uh non-zero correct if they make you mill it's probably better that you get some kind of value out off of it the the context of like if you're not pressuring their life total in another way your opponent might just be like yeah that's fine i'll take you know, the four or five or whatever that is going to get flipped off of this. And then I'll gain it back with, you know, fighting over my Uro or whatever. I mean, even, even against uh, your, your miracles deck, Phil, I would not want to see you flip over three cards with this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got like force of will, you've got terminus, you've got uh, St. Catherine that if, if you hit all three of those, it's like almost 20 damage right there. I I think that this card is, it's, 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 it is playable. Don't get me wrong. Like three mana at the end of every turn preordain. That's powerful enough in its own right. Yeah. So like I, I could see this that, that being good enough. Uh, and because it's at the beginning of your end step, so if your opponent doesn't interact with it, then it's three mana preordain. And then if they you know f- uh, fight over it or remove it or whatever, it traded one for one, and you preordain. That's good. You went up a card. Totally fine. Yeah. Uh, so I think the I think this card is playable, but I think that the power level of it it's tough to not see in context. Yeah. Like so much of this card is uh, is like. It's a Punisher mechanic, and usually that's not very good, but both sides of this are good, depending on if doming them for a bajillion is actually something that your deck is capable of doing. So if neither choice is good and you're happy to have either choice, it's possible that that's playable. But there's there's so much context that's needed for this card. It's tough to say whether or not it is or is not good enough for the format. I think at a baseline, the floor, three mana, preordain at the end of uh, end step of every turn, good enough right would would it would it surprise me if this is good enough not in the slightest i think it 100 is is it playable is it good enough to see play over the other three drops that it would be competing with that's where i go i need to see it in context you know is it good enough as a three drop yes is it good enough to see play in legacy as a three drop to be seen yeah stone of eric 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 stone of eric uh one mana for a legendary artifact uh, if a creature an opponent controls would die, exile instead. And then I could pay two mana, sacrifice Stone of Auroch, tap and sacrifice it, and exile target player's graveyard draw card. So it, it's another one of the uh, tutorable artifacts of Urza Saga that is, uh, you know, incidental graveyard hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the type of card that because Urza Saga exists... a little exists, different, yeah. It's a little bit different. There's no reason to not have one of these in your collection. If there's ever a point where you're like, 
I need the hate piece for creatures my opponent controls hitting the graveyard, and I just don't want that to happen. You're, you're happy. You're going to be happy to have this. Like, yeah, maybe your opponent's playing that Samwise tribal deck. Yeah, there's there's nothing yeah. about this card that's like, oh, this is super exciting. It's just another long line in the Soul Guide Lantern and its ilk type cards that yeah. is incidental graveyard hate that does something uh, in additional context that's like, you know, Soul Guide Lantern is the best right now because yeah, being able to ETB and hit something and then have the choice of either exiling or drawing a card is just the most versatile for the space we're Correct. in. But if there's ever a, a format where there's like a a meaningful deck that you want to hate out and you want to condense your sideboard slots where you need to make sure that their stuff doesn't die, it gets exiled instead, then you're going to be wa wanting this. So like, yeah. it's another one of the utility cards. Everybody's got Relic of Progenitus in their, in their collection, even if they're not played right now. Get a Stone of Eric. All right, uh, on to the lands. We have uh, the Shire. The Shire is a legendary land that says the Shire enters the battlefield un uh, tapped unless you control a legendary creature, and then you can tap it for a green, or you can tap one to green and it and tap an untapped creature you control to create a food token. Dukes and Strass Daddy. <laughs> we just talked about yeah, a Sam I mean, this just slots into the same, uh, the same thing that we were talking about before that, with uh, the food tokens. That Sam Legend deck is rewarding you for food. I get that they're pre-conning a little bit here, but like, hey, those food turn into cards that you regrow with Samwise, and then Samwise can regrow another Samwise. So even if they get rid of the Samwise, you can just play another Samwise, and now we're in the Samwise space. <laughs> like, figure it out. Yep. The other ones look not as good, but the other one that I think could see play is Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith has the same... Uh, same, uh, you have to have a legendary creature. It comes to play tapped. It's a legendary land. Tap it for a white mana. Uh, and then you can uh, tap one, a white, and this. Draw a card. Activate only if you've attacked with two or more creatures this turn. So I can see this being played in, in like, you know, as like a one of in, in like Death and Taxes. Like Death and Taxes might want this card as like such a meme at this point. Um, but there, there are a couple other strategies that I think could see that this could see play. Yeah, it's also in the colors of where most of the playable legendary creatures are. Like green yeah. and white are where the legendary playables are. And so... Also, like they this, tend to be decks that play creatures as well. If, if you're looking for a flex slot and you think you have the density of legendary creatures, it being like the spots where you can attack with multiple legendary creatures to draw a card, if you're looking for like your 23rd land or whatever, I, there's no reason why it couldn't be this if you feel like your basic count is high enough. Yeah. As you know, like... Yes, will there be times where sometimes it comes into play tapped? Sure. But will there be the other times where you're like, wow, this is a fucking draw engine and my opponent cannot deal with it anymore? Like, yeah. also, yes. So, you know, it's it's a playable land. If it sees play, you don't be surprised. Same thing with the Shire in the new Maverick deck. They're incidentally yeah. good enough. They're, well, the like, shell is there. The the best way I can put Minas Tirith is it's, it's the white version of like Volrath Stronghold gain you that value over time, right? For what it's worth, this is also in the Yoshimaru deck that we talked about, where you want your four Caracas, you want your yeah. four uh, Aganjo. It's legendary, it's a, so we can. It's, a, proc, it's another yeah. legend. It's another legendary land that produces white, and your entire deck is going to be legendary creatures. So this will always come to play untapped. And if you have multiples, that's not necessarily the worst because it does represent power on your creatures. So, yeah. you know, you do need a density of uh, legendary lands that produce white, and this is in the long line of them. So we missed one card from the main set that I want to. I, I want to just highlight real fast. Uh, because I still think it's good, and it was in our uh, previous video. Uh, it's Council's Deliberation, uh, so you can go to that the three uh, cards video that we did previously last week, or you can look at uh, this video over here, and that video uh, has has a more like in depth like three minutes of, of that card. Uh, but now we're going to go into the 
commander cards for the set. There uh, are a ton for, of commander cards. To, to note for the other videos as well, that's also uh, Orcus Bowmasters. We've talked about that in the previous episode, but also we have Zach Short where he dives into that as well. Yeah. And like I said, all these, like, I, I write them, Phil edits them, so we get, we get both of our opinions uh, onto the page, and then uh, and then I perform them. So so you'll get, like, a really good, like, bite-sized scenario of, like, why this card is is good, you know? Uh, so now going into the, uh, the commander cards and we've got to start with farmer cotton. cotton. Farmer cotton is X green, white legendary creature, halfling peasant. When farmer cotton enters the battlefield, create X one, one white halfling creature tokens and X food tokens. Dukes, stress daddy, yeah. figure it the fuck out. <laughs> so, yeah. so You're being called out guys. This, this, this card with, you know, your guy's cradle, you know, you just make a a big, you you just go wide, right? Your guy's cradle represents X one ones plus X food, which X food represents, you know, times subtract that by times three. And that's how many permanents you can get back with Samwise. Sam loyal attendant turns all of that into, you know, one mana gain three life. So you just never lose races. Yeah. Uh, I think that this is, it's another legendary creature to, you know, spam in the, to the legendary matters theme. But the, the cool thing about this too, is that between Caracas and Greens and Zenith, which you're already playing, if you're in a space where you have access to your Gaia's Cradle, you can Green Sun Zenith for this, Caracas pick it up and then Gaia's Cradle. Or you could also Gaia's Cradle with this on the board to add an additional mana, Caracas pick it up and then replay it and just like spam the board and go wide there it just adds another dimension of like you're playing these incidental like sam and frodo's and it's just you know these dopey shitters that are just making food and like giving you value or whatever whereas farmer cotton can actually be a kill con right yeah. like okay i'm just gonna pick this up and you know i'm gonna net you know five tokens every turn six tokens every turn and and then each one when you pick it up the guy's cradle gets more powerful because you just created more tokens so like the engine of like i'm just gonna make a bajillion fucking one ones and empty the warrens you every single turn there's also, dead, you know? Phil, uh, there's also this uh, card from, I, I want to say it's Dominaria United. Uh, I think it's Miria or M- Mira or something like that. But the, it's it's a three mana card that is a legendary that like, I think it shuts off all your opponent's artifacts and all of your artifacts tap for green mana. So you could have all the food in play, play that card and like yeah, so, get a so that card, I mana. I don't think it fucks up with your opponent's thing. I think it's a... It's a yeah, it's green and red, so you need to dip into mm-hmm. red, which is tough. But it does yeah. turn all of your artifacts into tap, add green. It turns them all into Mox Emeralds. And then you can tap two artifacts or whatever and exile the top card and then play that card. So yeah. it's a draw engine as well. Uh, and I see where you're going with that. You make Yeah, Miria, food, it's Miria's Scholar of uh, of Antiquity. Sorry. Yeah, and then it, that's another... It's a, it plays into the Legend thing, but it moves into red, which might be tough. But yeah. maybe you're... Maybe you're... It, maybe, I mean... The thing is, like, you don't need to play Frodo Adventurous Hobbit. It's just sort of free to because it partners with Sam Loyal Attendant, and that's yeah. interesting. And yeah. so it just puts you up the card. Yeah, that card turns all of your food, would turn all of your food into Mox Emeralds, which is also really powerful because, uh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and then it's also a draw engine with all of your, so it, it, that, that's also possible because it is a green sun zenith target. So maybe you don't necessarily need to play a red source. You could just play it off of, maybe you play one red source. So you, if you draw it, you don't get fucked, but like you could just green sun zenith for it. And then it turns all of your food into mox emeralds. That's actually a pretty cool idea. It's just like a one of green sun target yeah. to like net a fuckload of mana. It's sort of like, if you have all the food, you sort of get to green sun for a guy's cradle in a way. Yeah. And that that's kind of fun. 
Now we can talk about ship into the West, bro. Ship into the West. I, when I read it, I literally had to double take and text you guys again in yeah. our in our chat with Nate, where I was like, "It does say this, right? Like, I am not misreading this. Yeah, it's so too blue green. Sh- yeah, here you go. Okay, it's too blue green for an instant. It has will of the council, which is the voting mechanic. It says starting with you, each player votes for return or embark. If return gets more votes, each player returns up to two cards from their graveyard to their hand. Then you exile this card. That's not the thing that's going to happen with this. What's going to happen is you're going to vote, you as the player casting this at instant speed are going to vote for Embark. And it says if Embark gets more votes or it's tied for the most votes, each player may discard their hand and draw seven cards. So it's not a forced wheel, but it's 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 a four minute instant speed guaranteed wheel for you. Because yeah. if Embark gets more votes, and in a two-player game, you can always make sure that the vote is tied by voting for Embark. This is always an instant speed Wheel of Fortune for you in blue and green. Yeah, that's pretty good. That seems real. Like, high-tide players rejoice, right? You were already interested in sort of splashing green anyway to, to, to turbo your shit. And now this is just another instant speed Wheel of Fortune that you can get with your Merchant Scroll or get oh with your God. Wish. And then, like, it, you're, you're not you're, your opponent then, you're not wheeling your opponent. To, into like counter magic or whatever if they don't want to right it's a it's a may so they may but they may not but you can yeah. always go up at seven cards not and- to mention like let's let's think of a scenario where you're playing sultai and you have a bowmasters on the board do you think your opponent wants to have you make a seven seven and take seven damage i'm i'm interested in this card because it in that context it's the it's a wheel of fortune you can merchant scroll for or cunning yeah. wish for which means playing one in your main and one in the board at least talk about like revitalizing potentially an entire archetype right we could we could be seeing the the uh triumphant return of uh solidarity like if you like even this if if you're playing this yeah exactly you could just play the solidarity version which is entirely at instant speed but like even if you were to play three of this in the main and one on the board right because if you play this in wheel this doesn't exile itself you wheel and then the second time you wheel this wheels back into your deck so if you're just making infinite mana and like untapping all your shit like how much better like how much closer to deterministic is this because it's not like uh time spiral which exiles itself right so you never get to like actually start looping them this just goes back in and you just start drawing seven a bajillion times and then netting mana as you keep making more mana and the high tides go back so you keep high tiding and then you're making a bajillion more mana and it just keeps storm rolling fuck hell yeah we're sailing into the west we're embarking all right uh (laughs) so let's talk about the crown of gondor this is a Three mana legendary artifact. Maybe you stop me if you've heard this before. Uh, this is an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each creature you control. Whenever a legendary creature enters the battlefield, if there was no monarch, you become the monarch. And then it says equip four. This ability costs three less if you're the monarch. So if you put a legendary creature into play, you can just pay one mana and attach this thing to it. And I you're the monarch. This is this card is interesting again because of the context that it's in. So this card isn't playable on its own, but in a Stoneforge Mystic world as a one of, it's sort of like the 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 torch that people the the that takes the initiative. Yeah, people have been tutoring up the torch of, of Stoneforge Mystic to take the initiative. So it's a way that you can tutor for the initiative. This lets you tutor for the monarchy because you put this into play. If there's no monarch, you're the monarch. So Stoneforge Mystic being able to tutor for the Monarch is pretty powerful. Granted, you need a legendary creature to pair with it, but you're already playing legendary creatures incidentally. So if that's a space where you're in, being able to tutor for the Monarchy off of your Stoneforge Mystic, again, powers up your Stoneforge Mystic. I think that's the only world where this is contextually important. But it's it's something else where it's like, if the the Stoneforge Mystic players need to grind, they now can do so even harder because 
you know, you're you, if you, assuming that you uh, played a legendary creature and equipped this to it, your legendary creature is now huge. It's going to be fairly easy to maintain the monarchy if we're in that space. And they were playing the monarchy with Palace Jailer, and it's possible that like Palace Jailer has fallen out of favor. Crown of Gondor could just be another equipment that's in your deck off of your Stoneforge Mystic, and now here we are. Gollum obsessed stalker uh, for one and a black legendary creature halfling horror has skulk. At the beginning of your end step, each opponent dealt combat damage. This game, by a creature named Gollum Obsessed Stalker, loses life equal to the amount of life you gained this turn. Get your fucking illusions of grandeur ready. (laughs) You're taking 20. (laughs) Attack? Oh, do you have a 2-2? I'm attacking you, and I'll play illusions of grandeur. The the, the value of this card is that you have to have it in play, but it doesn't have to be the same copy. It cares about a card named that thing, but the ability is still stamped onto the card. So it's not an emblem. You do have to have this in play. But yeah. it doesn't have to be the same physical copy of it later in the game. You can just like, like if you get in with this and then, you know, later on six mana, you can just go play this, play illusions and step kill you. You know, like there is that sort of that, that sort of space. It's probably too cute, as is the case with most illusions, grandeur type. Yes. Combos. It's not nothing. It's not nothing <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, play like, this with they're, donate. They're, right. Uh, there is also something that's cool. If you're in that uh, Abzani Maverick deck, there's no way to tutor for this card. But Sam Loyal Attendant, all your food, sack a, gain three life, like, for one mana, I'm just going to spam all that shit, or I'm in Asmorna, Mardukai, Dystina, Kaldakar land, and I want to play this, and then just use the stuff to gain life, and then dome you out of combat for however much damage, like, there, maybe there's something there, but like, you know, maybe, or, or maybe Thoughtseize and Force Will will just punish you for trying to do anything synergistic, who knows? All right, uh, Cavern Horde Dragon, for nine mana, that's seven and two red. Uh, this spell costs X less, where X is the greatest number of artifacts an opponent controls. Flying, trample, haste, six six. Whenever Cavern Horde Dragon deals combat damage to a player, you may create a treasure token for each artifact that player controls. Okay, so sideboard in your red decks against all of the eight cast bobble decks, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I I think that's fine, and like your opponent's not going to realize that like. Isn't going to sacrifice all his bobbles in response to this to like make it cost more. It can't. That doesn't happen. It doesn't so work. It's already on the so stack. Yeah. This is this is interesting in that scenario where you're like, okay, like I just want a beater that like can tempo handle uh, eight cast. It's got haste too, so that's pretty amazing. So like you can basically just be like, okay, you you got seven artifacts. Now the combat math is such that like I have to kill you in the next like turn, two turns. Okay, I can pay two mana for the six six slam you. Maybe you get a bunch of mana, and you're like, and I can bolt you, and I can chain lightning you. Uh, you know, so I, I think I think this is interesting as a sideboard option. I don't think you should de- you should ever be playing this as a uh, main deck slot, but it's it's an interesting card. This is definitely a sideboard card for sure. It's only a yeah. sideboard card. Yeah, but you're not going to play this main deck unless unless eight cast becomes really popular. But it is theoretically paying you off immediately, right? Like flying trample haste. So like even if they block, it doesn't matter. But yeah. like you're 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 going to dome them. They would get to interact and like remove some amount of artifacts from their table if possible to keep you from getting a bunch of treasures. But like sure. they're not getting rid of their seed of the sign outs, right? Like they're they they can't sacrifice their tokens necessarily all that well. They can get rid of their baubles, but that's about it. Yeah. But like uh, otherwise, this is I mean, this if this not- if this just comes down and hits for six for two mana, it's pretty good. If it hits for six and two mana and gains you three to four uh, mana on top of that, you're basically casting this for free, right? That's why it's powerful. It's a yeah, like in in the context where you would want this out of the board, in the world where we're talking about, where it would make sense to be playing this card, it would be effectively free because you would you would play it for two red. 
cash attack them deal them some amount of damage and then immediately go back up some number of treasure tokens that made it free so yeah, and, and you're probably you like following up with like a murktide regent or something like that or, so, yeah. or something so the the other aspect about it too is that like i have seen like the blue red delver players that have moved into like the sort of dragon builds with uh battle of tarkir this is yeah. another dragon so it doesn't fuck that up there you we know? go like it's still it's still in that space I, I think it's specifically in that in the context against those types of decks this is a, a, a sideboard card now is that better than meltdown probably not yeah. but who knows like meltdown may protect win the game but they may be able to rebuild right? meltdown they, meltdown i've rebuilt from several meltdowns i don't know that uh i don't know that taking six off the dome and then having your opponent followed up with another like key play is is where i want to be against uh, against you, uh another person yeah. you've rebuilt against several meltdowns and you've also tried to meltdown and force a negation did yeah and yeah. this can't get force of negations so i side in force negations against red decks so like so this it, card it, would catch me way off guard it, it it cuts that and then in the other context of like where you know if they play psi and they're making thopters to like chump block so they can start uh racing or at least detain your fucking murktide this has trample and does not give a shit it has all of the makings of a very very powerful sideboard card for a deck that already wants that kind of effect against the certain kind of decks in the metagame that it needs this card against everything about this card fits very neatly into a home already yeah this is not thinking beyond like what other context could this be good in very specifically the delver board or any other red board against the the bobble uh see the cyanide style or you know whatever artifact decks this has a home in the board against those decks and yep. th th this will be worth testing for in those spots definitely all right our final card we've got there we've got to the final card of this uh set uh set review uh i think this is actually one of the most uh most interesting cards and probably one of the most powerful cards in the set phil feasting hobbit is a one and one green for a creature halfling citizen that has devour food three, he's a two, two. And it says creatures with power less than feasting hobbits power cannot block it. Okay. So I'm going to need, I'm going to need, we're, we're just going to need to get a, a, a round table of Dukes and Strass daddy on here right now. Okay. So team, team. Let's, with just, all the start, let's just start with, with uh, underworld cookbook, right? Like that's the, let's just that, start. that's the floor. That's baseline with underworld cookbook. You go turn one underworld cookbook, you discard a card, you make a, a, a food. You untap, you tap it again, you make another food. You cast Feasting Hobbit, you devour the two food. You have a two-mana 8-8 eight, eight that effectively is not going to be blocked. Cannot be blocked. That's, Pretty good on turn two. That's on just going turn one, turn two with literally any other amount of cards in two mana. Yeah. Uh, who knows with the other synergy. But, like, you can green Sun Zenith for this. Like, in that in the new Maverick deck that we're talking about that's just spamming a whole shit on fucking food tokens, you green Sun Zenith for this. Devour is an ETB effect. So, ETB, Devour, you sacrifice as many foods as you want. You make this as gigantic as you, as you want, and it will one-shot your opponent. Like, yeah. that is so awesome. Devour 3 means that every Devour food you sacrifice so puts plus on plus on counters on it. That's so Devour much. 3 is so big. At 2 mana, that's so much. Yeah. This is the card. I think this is the card that like people are sleeping on. It doesn't even have a price yet. This it, is the, it is, this like, is the card of the set that like it, you should bro, pick those up. The 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 Obzon Maverick players are are or are already interested in like the Green Sun Zenith for a mana dork. Gilded Goose is your foodie mana dork. It's all yeah. there. The deck is all there. Yep. It's already right yep. there. And they Dude, reprinted Gilded all, Goose right with a really there. new, really cool new art. With, like, with good art. With really yeah. good art. It's all there. It's all there, fam. Yeah. So I think that does it for us. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed uh, the cast so far. Uh, 
hey, I, I wanted to also thank everybody who's new for showing up and checking out the cast. We've like almost doubled our subscriber count over the last couple of months. So if you're new, uh, thanks so much for watching. Uh, if you found value here, please consider subscribing to the channel. If uh, you you have the means, please uh, think about supporting us on Patreon. All those links are below. You can go to patreon.com slash eternal dirtles. Uh, check out Moxfield. Uh, hit me and Phil up on Twitter. Hit us up. Join our Discord. Join our Discord. And please, comment below if you thought that we missed anything. I, I have so much more to talk about with this set. This is uh, one of those rare times that two of my favorite things are kind of converging at the same time. So I'm super excited to talk about this set. Uh, hit us up in the Discord. I think that's it for us, Phil. What'd you do? <laughs> Later. <laughs>